y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. This week is our second week of the Summer of Mentorship. The Summer of Mentorship is six weeks we set aside to republish previous interviews with fantastic mentors. This week's episode originally aired in September of 2018. It is with Darina Williamson. Share with your children things that you're growing in. I think that says to them, okay, mom is still growing. Dad is still growing. They're still learning things. So it's okay that I'm still learning things too. And that's a, that's a humbling posture. But I think that goes so far in conversations like this, uh, where we are, are coming to the realization ourselves, that, wow, you know what, I, oof, I've i still got some growing to do. Um, that's a good thing. That's something we should embrace, and that's something that we should walk out before our kids. Darina Williamson has been the first lady of their church strong tower in Franklin, Tennessee for 25 years. And at the time of this interview, she had written two children's books. One was colorful and one was thoughtful. And we cover both of them in this interview. But since then, she's written a third children's book called Graceful. All of them we've put links to in the show notes. But I think at the time of the interview, one, I was just at the beginning of my awakening of systemic racism and even just how to navigate bias and the issues of the Black community has faced for hundreds of years. And so this interview, she shares some fantastic points about helping navigate difference with our children. I was trying to merge the two books, Thoughtful and Colorful. And so at times, going back listening, it's a little painful for me because I'm trying to mix both. And I wish I would have just leaned into Darina's guidance on talking about issues of race and bias. So Please give me grace. I'm still on my journey. If you want to check out more on this topic, um, please listen to the episodes I've done with Latasha Morrison that we did in the spring. She is the founder of Be The Bridge, and Darina is actually a Be The Bridge leader in her community. And Lucretia Berry, who came on this spring, um, who leads Brownicity, that episode's called Minnie Hughes, One Humanity. All great leaders in work of racial healing. All right, let's get to this interview here we go. Hey, Darina, welcome to the show. I'm so thankful to have you on today. Thank you so much, Heather, for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Well, I feel like there's so much to your story before you even authored these books. And I know <laughs> there are episodes out there that you've done with people just talking about your life as a pastor's wife and growing up in ministry and all and, and musician and all the things. But I would love for you to start off just introducing uh, the, the women listening to your family. Yes. So I have been married to my husband, Dr. Chris Williamson, for going on 27 years. And we have four amazingly diverse children, ages 24, 22, 18, and 14. And so that means we have a new high schooler and a new collegiate. So lots of fun changes for our family over the last two weeks. And any any off married or are still <laughs> in search? Um, no marriages, um, still waiting and, uh, and looking and, uh, sending me, you know, pictures and comments <laughs> of, of people interested in, which, you know, when young adults do that, that's 
they want parents input, that's absolutely awesome. <laughs> that's huge. That's great. Well, I yeah. appreciate you. The gals listening know that I love having women who have children older than mine. And we're going to pick your brain on this topic of training our kids in, you know, seeing the world the way Jesus wants us to see the world and seeing people the way he wants us to see them. And, and I just, your two books, one thoughtful, the other colorful, colorful being the first one you uh, publish or the publisher put out Lifeway. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Just tell me, how did you get on this journey of God kind of awakening this passion to write children's books? Well, it really started with seed ideas that God gave me and I thought that they were journal entries. I've journaled for years. And so I assumed that these thoughts might make it onto that blog I was going to do someday. And um, as they continue to form, I realized, especially after I finished Colorful, I realized that God had given me a treasure chest full of valuable ideas that were forged from um, the 23 years that I've been the pastor's wife, first lady of a multiracial church. And so really these stories come out of that. I feel like they're just jewels and um, wonderful seed opportunities to pass on from things that I've experienced not only with my children, but more importantly, in our multiracial faith congregation. And so Colorful was the first, and then Thoughtful has come up here as the second. So tell us a little about your church, because I'm kind of jealous. Yes, (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is a beautiful taste of taste of heaven. You know, people love to talk about Revelations 6, 7 and, and the great, you know, the crowd around the throne as if, well, we'll get to experience that one day. And I feel like we are really getting a head start at Strong Tower. Um, almost 23 years ago, um, next this Sunday actually will be our 23rd anniversary. And um, we God just, through the journey that Chris and I had in ministry, God planting us here in the Nashville, Franklin, Tennessee area in a a Civil War Confederate-rich area, God planted us African-American couple to start something that had not been done here. And um, so we experienced the beautiful diversity of the kingdom of God with families of different races, uh, families who mixed race adoptions, um, you know, Native American, Latina, you know, African-American, Caucasian, just you know, all all walks of life. Um, and we come together and major on Jesus and and we learn about each other's cultures and about our differences and how um, those things don't have to divide us, but they can draw us towards a beautiful unity that really does display the witness of Christ in a powerful way. So beautiful. So you're doing the church thing. You're being the first lady. You are seeing these different races come together and... What was the treasure, the jewel that God put in your heart for this first book, Colorful? Colorful began to originate after conversations that our family was having, really the ongoing conversations, but they were they were triggered with some of the um, unfortunate instances that we've seen videotaped of um, unarmed Black men being um, shot and and I have a 24-year-old son, my oldest. And so, you know, pertinent conversations that we have always had, um, but really highlighted during those unfortunate, um, disheartening times as a family where we're talking about it. We're also having opportunities at church to lament, you know, for families with sons. This, these these are, are triggering and they're painful to be misunderstood and just to walk through lamenting what we're seeing. And so I also, as we're having conversations, I'm seeing on social media, 
Christians in particular, responding to this injustice by saying, well, I teach my children not to see color, or I teach my children that, you know, we're colorblind, and it's sort of a sweeping, God loves us all, and I don't see color, and moving on. And I kept feeling frustrated, thinking that's not the solution to teach your children to be colorblind, because that's minimizing the beauty of God's handiwork. And as Christians, we should be the biggest proponents of celebrating the beauty of our racial diversity and not minimizing it or sort of washing it away in this colorblind land. So the frustration led to, again, writing down what I thought were journal entries. And as I kept writing, I kept getting these seed ideas. I realized I could speak into this in a way that could relate to kids and really help parents open up dialogue and plant some seeds and share some perspective. And so it sort of was a, a slow dawning over the course of a year of writing and realizing this could be formed into a beautiful children's book. And there the journey began <laughs> of, of, you know, all, all the things related to writing and querying and, and, and then finally, you know, uh, pursuing publishing. So I think it's holy work because mm. honestly, the, that, period of time you're talking about and all the conversations that were happening, I would have said prior to that, that that would have been the message I would give because mm-hmm. that was the message I was given. Mm-hmm. When you don't know any other choices, you choose what you were told. And yes. it's such a beautiful way to acknowledge like this God is so creative. Mm-hmm. He made so much variety in our world around us. And that's what this book highlights and so much variety in the people he created. So help parents that are listening. How, how do they start these conversations? Obviously they would get the book and they would read through it, but they're in the car driving and they see someone of a different uh, color than theirs, you know, any color than theirs. And they make a comment how, or, or, you know, the two-year-old years, right? When they're mm-hmm. so blunt and they're pointing in the grocery store mm-hmm. at someone who looks different from them. Mm-hmm. How do we respond? How do we train? Well, my word to parents, first of all, they're listening to this conversation. So theoretically, that has not happened yet. Or they're listening going, oh, you know, this has happened. What do I do? And so first of all, I want to remind parents that these conversations foundationally begin with our own convictions. And we have to have this as something that we actually espouse because we teach our children to be wise, to be discerning, to be critical thinkers. And so, you know, the rubber's got to meet the road. Um, We've got to practice what we preach. And I think a lot of parents don't begin these conversations because something that triggers us in feeling bad that we don't know or we've not been doing something correctly, our, our first response, I think, as adults is not to do what we teach our children, and that is to be a learner, to be a student, to acknowledge what you don't know and ask questions. So often we, again, we step back and go, well, never mind, or that's an awkward or an unnecessary conversation. So foundationally, you need to practice what you preach and you need to embrace this for yourself. And if you need some scriptural, biblical um, nudge to help you feel a little better, then go over to Acts 10 and look at Peter, who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus move across 
you know, cultural lines, across mm. gender lines, across, um, you know, as a Jewish, you know, rabbi reaching out to Gentiles repeatedly, doing things that were unheard of. After three years of example and three years of faithful teaching, we get to Acts 10 and Peter is still not getting it. And he had to have an awakening moment led by the Holy Spirit. And so I, I want to encourage parents, first of all, to understand what you don't know and to be okay with that. Because if we don't realize what we don't know, what we haven't been doing, then we aren't going to start. And so once you're wrapping yourself around, I need to be practicing this before I preach this to my kids, then, you know, look at it from a biblical perspective, starting in Genesis. And and that really energized me as I reread the creation story that I have read to my children many times and read myself when I was a child. And yet you look at the creativity of God in all of creation and and the sunrise and sunset and the colors and that and all the way through creation week to creating man and woman out of the dust of the ground. And so we go all the way through scripture and see the strategy of God in his creativity of creating um, people and all that he did in color. And, and so colorful exemplifies parents' finding a teachable moment as this grandmother did um, for those who haven't read the book, a beautiful, you know, story of friendship. And then this grandmother finds just this teachable moment as these beautiful kids are enjoying the colors and bubbles. And she celebrates that, invites them to see the other colors around them in the garden, and then moves strategically to reinforcing God's truth that he also created our skin color as beautiful and that's something to celebrate as colorful. So teachable conversations starting when they're young, not thinking, well, I'll put that off until they're, you know, later elementary years, just as you're strategic and planting seeds about every other important subject and you do it on an ongoing basis, include the conversations about the beauty of our racial difference as an ongoing conversation planting seeds, um, asking open-ended questions. Books are an amazing, easy, super easy way, colorful, as well as many others. There's, I was just in Barnes Noble today, and there's so many beautiful books that parents can read with their children, get, uh, you know, get out, get at the library. Um, and so, so many easy ways that you can begin to incorporate and grow these conversations one seed at a time. So I might have to have you send me a list of those books because I know people are going to say, they're going to email me. <laughs> Doreen said there's so many books I want to read them. What are they? What did she see at Barnes & Noble? So we might have to put together a list for the show notes because um, I know these moms, they want to do it right. They yes. want to do it right. They they just want the tools and the help. So that is super, super helpful um, to one, like you said, look at our own hearts and to take advantage of teachable moments to acknowledge God's creativity and the variety around us. Okay. So we have taught that maybe outside of a moment of panic, but then the two-year-old points, what are some great words that a mom could say in that moment to remove the awkwardness for everyone involved? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I have heard from people who are differently abled or who may have a visible um, difference that they don't mind children coming up close. It's when parents sort of shoo them away and make it make what's already awkward more awkward and then communicate to their child that there's something wrong that that there's in their curiosity in their curiosity. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
And so that creates a, a shameful moment for your child. And, and I've done this, so I am not saying to parents, <laughs> I've done it. I've done it all right. You could bring my children on and I'm sure they have some stories that I've probably chosen to forget. <laughs> they would love to remind, <laughs> but you know, in those moments, acknowledge, you know, what your child is saying. If, if they, for instance, are seeing someone and, and maybe one arm is shorter than the other and it's, it's just visible and they point and say, what's wrong with this man's arm in a way that that person hears it, you know, a parent may just respond and say, you know, one of his arms is different than the other. And then, you know, give a smile to the person. Again, we don't know the burdens that people are carrying. And I've become more sensitive to this in the faith community, understanding from parents who um, have children with special needs or um, a child that may have um, a disability that's not physically um, obvious. Um, It's not always easy to feel welcomed for the parent and for the child. And of course, you know, we're centering the child. But as I'm talking to parents, I want to just remind us for ourselves, as well as our children, those things that we're communicating with our nonverbal communication as well. So, um, you know, build on that moment after you finish your grocery shopping in the car, you know, take, make a mental note and then build on it. And, and now we definitely need to remind our children. And I had that precocious child that said things that I cringed. I wanted to (laughs) crawl into the ground and go, Oh my gosh, (laughs) but you've got to handle it in the moment. And, and of course, so we reinforce, you know, let's have those conversations at home. It's not polite to point to people. Obviously, those are ongoing conversations as well. But if that child does that in that moment, um, you know, I would encourage parents, don't create a shaming episode. Acknowledge what the child has seen. Um, Say something positive about the person's worth, because we're wanting to communicate to our children that differences um, do not define worth. And and sadly, Heather, that's something that the Christian community is not modeling well, and that's foundational biblical truth. Like mm-hmm. we talk Psalm 139 all the time. We have it on T-shirts, but we don't practice it with what comes out of our mouths, and we're not teaching that to our children. So mm-hmm. God's Word is either true or it's not. We're either all remarkably, fearfully, wonderfully made, or we're not. And God's Word is true. So communicate that to your children, that that person may have a difference. It may be something that you see. It may be something we don't see, but their worth is the same as yours. And and that's just communicating that difference is not bad. That's our that's the first default that children have is if someone's different from me, it must be something bad. Mm-hmm. So they're posturing themselves as, as better than or as normal even. And so that person is not normal or abnormal. And so we want to continue to speak um, the truth and, and, and shape that corrective, that difference is not abnormal or wrong. Difference is good. Let's talk about it. Maybe there's some things we need to look up. Maybe there's things we don't understand, or maybe this even shows we need to consider how do we create more opportunities for our children to engage with people who are different than they are so that differences are not um, remarkable to them, but they are a part of the community that they're in. Hey, y'all, if you are looking for a great summer snack, I don't know if your people are constantly hungry. Well, let me tell you about a great option. It's this week's sponsor, and it's owned by a mother-daughter pair based in a rural community. It's called Go Macro, and their mission is to spread awareness 
for a balanced plant-based lifestyle with products that have a positive effect on the world. And they have these delicious macro bars that are packed with 100% plant-based ingredients. They are organic, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, non-GMO, clean, raw, and soy-free. And if you have a food allergy, they have three delicious nut-free flavors. If you are looking for a good snack, I want you to head over to gomacro.com. And as a Don't Mom Alone listener, use the promo code DMA to get 30% off. If you spend over $60, you're going to get free shipping. So head over to gomacro.com, use that promo code DMA to save 30%. So many amazing things in what you said. And it's reminding me of the episode we just had on with some of my friends who've adopted children with special needs. And one of my friends, her desire to start a farm for her son so that he has position in the community and um, a role and to help others see that just because someone is differently abled doesn't mean they have less value. Just to, to provide a place and a position of importance in that community. And so I, I love everything you've said. Uh, I do think in the church, particularly, it can be very hard because your child may be the one that you get called on all the time. And uh, not all churches have the staff or the ability to have a one-on-one buddy um, with your child if they have maybe Down syndrome or a cerebral palsy or something. Um, but I think all of that is so good to talk to our kids about being fearfully and wonderfully made is true for everyone. Um, and that brings us to your second book, Thoughtful. Yes. Thoughtful. My second, second book, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Which the subtitle is Discovering the Unique Gifts in Each of Us. Um, so I'm guessing, like you said, that you've noticed this in your church. And again, the jewel here, what was your, what was your desire? What did you hope would happen? Well, just as I communicated about value, um, I I was inspired by my beautiful nephew who lives in Boston, um, Josiah. He's 11 years old, and he has the gift of Down syndrome. And he inspired me to just consider how we view people who, who are differently abled and and to create a story with a child who's very much like I was as a child. Um, Ahanu is the name of my sweet Down syndrome boy in the book. And his friend Joshua overhears some bullying towards a friend. And Joshua doesn't say anything. And that's the type of child I would have been. I was a deep feeler, but I would not always have have stood up and advocated in the moment for someone being mistreated, but I would have felt very deeply sad about it. And so I wanted to open up a dialogue for parents and children. And it's been so sweet talking with, with friends and parents at church who, who are sharing with me the dialogue it's creating for their children as school has started back. So the timing of this release is great because, you know, children who were in, you know, public schools, my kids have been, or in, you know, private school or in homeschool in in, you know, tutorials and, and what have you, um, are, are generally going to have opportunities to engage with kids who, again, have visible or invisible differences. And so, 
I just wanted to give an opportunity for parents to open up that dialogue. And and both of these conversations are ones that some parents are already having. So for them, this is just going to be another tool, another opportunity to engage on a subject that they're already engaging in. But for other parents, they're going to realize, you know, I, I just haven't even thought about having this conversation with my children but this book is showing me that I need to. And I would say, hooray, one of my goals is absolutely accomplished right there because we should be talking about this with our children so that our kids are the ones who are reaching out to the child who may be excluded. They are not participating in bullying or name calling. Um, they are standing up for their friends and standing with their friends. You know, um, I've always told my kids when they start school, I've prayed over them and said, you be the one to reach out. And, um, and I hope, you know, I'm not with them, so I'm not, you know, I don't have a video camera on them to, to pay attention. Are they doing that? But I hope that by continuing to hear me say that, reiterate that even now with my youngest in high school, that, that when she has those opportunities, that she's leaning in to be, to be that child who would do what Jesus compels us to do, and that is um, to love well and to be full of kind thoughts as as thoughtful um, teaches children. Well, and what, I mean, all that amazing. Again, I loved in the confrontation that Joshua, when he gets that boldness after a little pep talk um, and thinking about, okay, what does make my friend really unique and what are his gifts? that he doesn't go into the bullies or the ones who are being unkind and just say, you're mean, stop being mean with more anger and frustration, which only makes the situation worse. Mm -hmm. He points out those good things in the friend and models for them, you know, why he thinks he's a good friend and how to talk well about others. And I thought Mm -hmm. I pointed that out to my boys. Look how he's talking to these boys who were, unkind. He's not causing another conflict and getting Mm -hmm. in a hoop he doesn't need to be in and causing Mm -hmm. problems. He's just modeling positive communication about a friend. And I thought that was, I was really, really well done Um, because it takes bravery, right? Yes, it does. It does. And again, as you and I, as I'm listening to you and, and thinking about this, this should not be unusual or strange for those of us right. who, who, who name the name of Jesus, who say we are followers of Jesus. Um, but I, I'm thinking, you know, to, to bring it home, I'm thinking about Twitter and, and seeing how mm. people who are, who profess to be believers, you know, God knows the heart, but who profess to be believers can be, um, so shaming and so ugly. Um, and you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks is what Jesus taught us in the gospels. And so I didn't want him to come back to those guys and to, to heap shame upon shame. Um, I think of, um, Bernice King, the daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and this week was just a commemoration of, I think, 55 years after his March on Washington, I have a dream speech. And, um, you know, she was just reiterating that, you know, the lessons my father taught me about responding to people um, when he was, I think he was stabbed by a, a, a woman um, during his lifetime. And his response was to ask how she was doing. And and mm. she said, this is the type of father I had that he cared about the welfare of someone who intentionally tried to harm him. And so I'm wanting to do like that. And that stood out to me. I sort of read that and sort of tucked that away. Like, this is a kind of example and the kind of life that I need to 
to lead. That's certainly Christ-like, but unfortunately, it's even radical today to not repay shame to someone who shamed us or to say mean words back. And, you know, being honest, you know, our our response, I mean, we even want to justify, well, you see how they treated me and, you know, get that neck rolling and tell our kids, well, if they do that to you, you do that back to them. But again, to have this young man model, let me say to these guys, let me stand up for my friend and say, you really ought to see how amazing he is in art or in, in football. And, and, and then to leave it where we don't know what those two boys who were bullying, what they did with that. But at least Joshua had the opportunity to stand up for his friend. And like you said, to reiterate the positive aspects, because maybe those boys didn't have the capacity to see that, or maybe they're, you know, all they see in people is, is value based on one thing. And they maybe are going to come away from that engagement with, oh, wow, I need to, I need to see value in a, in a different way. And so I'm glad you had that conversation with your boys, because that's really what my hope is, is, is that parents take the story and then add their own conversation points and really drive home that message in whatever way they are able to. So that makes my heart happy to hear that. Well, and I'll tell you, this is a long, this is a long term, this is a long game right here with my boys yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> one of them in particular is high justice in the fact that he even heard a story yesterday of uh, one of my son's friends was elbowed in the eye and they didn't know who elbowed him and he had a battle strategy of how to get back at the kid who <laughs> elbowed him and I was like no 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 that is I've been saying this phrase we do not return evil with evil but we turn evil with good I have been saying that your entire life and it it just i mean it is a lot of repetition a lot of trusting god mm-hmm. but it starts with our own heart how would you help an adult who is struggling you know because we can say the phrases see god's value in them but that that kind of it's it's easy to say and hard to do you know yeah it sure is it sure is and i was listening to um a speaker last week, and I'll have to think of who the speaker was, but she talked about bias and she talked about how important it is for us to continue to check our own bias and that Mm -hmm. if we have a brain, we have bias. And I thought, you know, that is so good to be reminded of because so often we think, well, you know, I view all people well, and I, you know, I'm good. Like I don't, you know, or or we justify, well, I don't put people down. I don't teach my children to put people down. And so it's sort of this, I'm quintessentially always and forever good. And um, we know that's not true. Again, (laughs) biblically based, we are, we are all sinners and we, we, we continue to fall short. We're not going to be perfect until we're, we're in heaven. And so to continue to check our own bias, um, or maybe as small as if I'm around um, an atmosphere where another language is being spoken, you know, do I have mm-hmm. bias that I have immediately about a people group or, um, you know, I see someone dressed a certain way. Um, do I immediately have a bias or I have a collective thought about what that person must be like? And, um, you know, that's, it's, it's just not true, you know? And so to be continually, checking ourselves and 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 saying wait a minute hold on let me just step back and think am i am i approaching that because there's a bias there that i need to consider and ask god to work on in me and and as our children get older i think that those are valuable conversations even to have with them because the beauty of that is 
that tells your children that you are teachable and that you don't get it right all the time and that you're continuing to learn and grow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a beautiful thing to model to our children, that we are growing, that we're having to overcome things, that we are coming to the realization that um, we have felt this way about people. And it may be that that's what your parents taught you. It may be because you've never spent time around them, what have you. But to to share with your children the things that you're growing in, um, I think that says to them, okay, mom is still growing. Dad is still growing. They're still learning things. So I, it's okay that I'm still learning things too. And that's a, that's a humbling posture, but I think that goes so far in conversations like this, um, where we are, are coming to the realization ourselves, wow, you know what, I, I've still got some growing to do. Um, that's a good thing. That's something we should embrace. And that's something that we should walk out before our kids. Another, I mean, we, this isn't even one of your books, but I think you brought it up when you said different languages, dressing differently, um, we do a lot of work with refugees from our church and, you know, my boys have made comments about smells like when we visit their homes and the, they cook different foods and mom, you know, it doesn't smell like our house at their house and, and just talking them through those differences. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I fully want to equip the mom listening so that she can have these conversations because mm-hmm. I know for me, Again, it can be awkward if they say it in the moment, um, and then it's this private conversation about that culture. But what what conversations have you had with your kids, or what are some ways you've described some good words to use with your kids in having these conversations? I know you've said a lot already, but if we haven't covered anything. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so to, to use the example of language, um, I'll never forget with my youngest, she was our miracle baby, our preemie. And so uh, because she had a lot to overcome, she had a little bit of a language delay approaching Mm -hmm. preschool. And so she qualified for a special preschool in in our town that was located at a specific elementary school. And um, it wasn't the one that we were zoned for, but because she qualified, I knew this would be you know, a a great opportunity for her. And so we went for the open house and um, I quickly realized that the majority of the students in that preschool were Latina. Mm. And that was a thrill to me because at that time um, in our church, uh, and this was maybe um, not quite 10 years ago. So um, we did not have, I don't recall if we had any or many people um, from Latina background. And so, uh, so I knew this was going to be a, a new experience for her. So I, I, I immediately realize that again, you know, seeing the names of the kids and just from observation, you know, you take those things in right off the bat. And so um, we did the interactions and the introductions and all the things that, you know, were to happen for um, that, that intro open house day. And then the first day we brought her for preschool, I took her into the restroom to assist her. And next door to us in the stall, we heard a mother and a daughter and they were speaking in Spanish. And um, I I know a few phrases, um, not much, but enough to know that they were speaking Spanish. And I saw my daughter's eyes squint and kind of have that peculiar look like, (laughs) what am I hearing? And I and I tucked it away because in my mind, I was I had already begun preparing myself that this is going to open up some opportunity because this is going to be a new experience for her, right? And so sure enough, after school, she said, Mommy, why do they talk different? 
And I knew that was an opportunity, first of all, to clarify, because what she was saying in her phrase was, they don't talk normal because they don't talk like me. Mm-hmm. And that was an absolutely justifiable question because, again, for a child who's experiencing difference, the first category they put it in is it's 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 different because it's not the way I am. And so we have to clarify that. So that was a great opportunity to introduce. They don't talk different. They speak a, another language. It's called Spanish. You speak English. Talk that through. And it was the beginning of a wonderful opportunity. By the end of that school year, she knew all of her all of her friends' first and last names and, of course, lots of language development. But I was happy that her language development included, um, you know, learning about culture and learning little bits of Spanish from those beautiful friends that she made that year. And so it was a reminder to me that it's wonderful when our children have those opportunities, whether they're organically like hers, you know, qualifying for a preschool that was um, diverse culturally and, and racially, but also, you know, placing our children in opportunities through experiences that our family incorporates, you know, looking up different types of um, activities that we can do, um, you know, many libraries and community centers and even diverse churches um, and restaurants have Uh, many opportunities for us to enlarge and reshape the circles that we spend time in, the people that we hang out with. And like your boys, you know, getting to experience different cultures and coming home and talking about why food smells different, you know, why homes smell different, um, to be able to unpack those differences and be grateful to always commend our children that the questions they ask are good. You know, Mm -hmm. in, in every other setting, we applaud children asking questions. Teachers even tell them there's no bad question. You know, ask questions that shows that you're interacting with the subject. And so we need to, you know, sort of like a no-brainer, we need to continue that at home and not shut down those questions because they're bringing up subjects that we're uncomfortable with. But as parents, lean into them. And it's even okay if we have to say, you know what, let me think about that. I want to come back to this conversation, but I want to think about it a little bit because I don't really have a good answer right now. That's completely okay. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've even been to the doctor and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm a little stumped by this rash your child has. Let me go get my associate because I want to have them take a look. Like, hello, <laughs> if a doctor can do that, come on, parents. It's okay for us to not have, we are not Google. <laughs> you know, it is okay for us to not have all the answers in the moment, but to tell our children, you know, I want to come back to that because that's really important. And I want to give it some more thought. Go away and pray. Say, Lord Jesus, help me with this one. This one's above my head. <laughs> but God will give us, he will give us what, what we need. You know, wisdom comes from him. But but lean into those conversations and welcome them. And even, you know, nudging us a little, do those things as a family that you need to do to create those opportunities if your children are not having them like your children are. Well, I feel like I'm realizing as you're talking When I first met my husband, one of the things I really loved about him, besides him being so cute, was that he treated everyone the same. It wasn't like he was working to work his way into the cool kids or thought better or higher of himself than others. He treated everyone with the same value. And I never really thought about the fact that his mom is so intentional about inviting Uh, international students into their home. She started an international ministry to uh, Asian uh, doctors, uh, medical students. Her, my 
my husband's dad is a doctor and then they took mission trips to Mexico and all over the world. And so he's seen so many different cultures and so many different socioeconomic statuses and met so many different people. And I think that has almost shrunk, I think, sometimes uh, in our culture, our kids, because they're not getting the variety. Even my own boys uh, are in a private school and they're not getting a lot of variety there. They can think more highly of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they aren't getting to see a variety of people. So if anything, it it not humbles our kids in a like, you better humble yourself. You have too much pride, but puts them in right position mm-hmm. and where God mm-hmm. has them on this planet and mm-hmm. s- instead of thinking so highly of themselves that they do crazy things that kids are doing these days, take other people's lives or make unwise choices. Um against someone because they think they are more valued than that person's life. So um, yes, as parents, I do think it, it takes a lot of intention if you don't have kids in public school or, um, or in a community or in a beautiful church, like strong tower to, to provide that for your kids, but it doesn't take going around the world. There are refugees that come here. There are international students that come here and uh, it's, it's, a, it's great to, They've nev- they may have never been in an American home. So you, it's like mm-hmm. this borrowing from each other. They, they get to see your home and you get to experience a new culture. And, and that is a beautiful thing. Yes. Yes. I, I, I'm amening everything you said. And I, I love, I've, I've often thought if I were a multi, multi-millionaire, one thing <laughs> I would have done differently <laughs> or I would do now is I would take my children, you know, around the world often. Um, I just, I, I, the few opportunities that God has blessed me to, to travel, um, you know, missionally or in learning or ministry capacities. Um, I've just been so grateful to see this great big world that God has made is full of amazing people. And, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's definitely an American thing, you know, for us to sort of think we're, you know, Anything the, about us is, is the is the premier or the yeah, better than. Yeah. But you know, in in Jewish culture, you know, we see through Scripture. We even see in this instance that I mentioned in Acts ten, where you know Peter, being a very proud Jewish man, you know, he had that preeminent mindset of we are better, mm-hmm. and and God didn't call Israel His chosen people to say that of everyone else you're better than. He 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 chose them because of His love, because of His plan to bring the Messiah, and and yet you know, they struggled as we all do with thinking, oh, well, I'm, I'm better than, and that's why the Jew Gentile dynamic was so hard. It's so radical for the gospel to say the wall has been broken and they have the same privileges and rights as you do. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not a new phenomenon. And, and I agree with you, you know, we can't all expose our children through international travel, but we certainly all have opportunities in our communities. And even those who may not live in a super diverse community or may not have the luxury of, you know, relocating somewhere else. I have friends who drive across town to have their children in sporting activities that give a more diverse league. Uh, you know, it, it, it takes sacrifice. And so we have to be honest about that. Are we willing to make the sacrifices um, to maybe reconsider what our family vacation will be if we're budgeting for that and consider something that will give them um, opportunities to engage with other cultures? But, you know, literature for me growing up and even now with these books are great ways to 
um, you know, give your children a view of the world, um, you know, through the things that you bring in for them to watch, um, you know, even observing in their in their school lunches. You know, I've 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 repeatedly heard on um, social media friends of other cultures. Um, I'm thinking right now of of some of my Asian friends yeah. because of the rhetoric around the the new movie that came yeah. out recently. Yeah. But yeah. you know, they've talked about feeling awkward when they brought some of their ethnic food to lunch. That for them was what they enjoyed, but mm-hmm. because it wasn't American enough or it smelled mm-hmm. differently or kids didn't know what that food was. And again, th- the first approach is typically what's wrong with that or, ooh, that smells funny instead of, so again, that would be a teaching opportunity for our children. You know, maybe if, you know, we can afford to take them to even a different restaurant and say, you know, let's try some new things and talk about them and understand that other cultures eat differently. You know, food is so important to culture. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I feel like I miss out on that a lot. I'm, I'm a little jealous sometimes of other, <laughs> other cultures that have such beautiful distinctions, yeah. but even in a small way, we could teach our children you know, that those things, again, they may smell different, they may look different, they may be unfamiliar to us, but let's use this as an opportunity to learn about other cultures. And those are very small ways. We may not get to travel around the world, but we might be able to travel across town or on our next road trip, maybe consider making a stop somewhere that would give us opportunities to engage. You know, it just takes intentionality to begin sort of turning this engine and thinking that way. Once you begin thinking that way, you literally open up a whole new world. So good. Well, I think we have given the gal listening plenty to think about and things that are very possible for her to do even today in her conversations with her kids. And so thank you, Darina. For coming on the show, I will Thank put you links. For having me. <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs> I'll put links to all of the books and um, where they can find you online um, in all of the show notes. But really appreciate you writing these books and coming on today. Thank you again, Heather, for having me. It has been a joy, and I have learned so much from our conversation as well. So continue to learn and grow, and I appreciate you having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. I think the core work that Jarena has done is to open our eyes to see the image of God in all people. And so I'm going to pray over us in that. Lord, I pray as parents, you would guide us, that you would do the work in our hearts to see where we have bias, where we are um, maybe blind right now to seeing where we are treating others differently. I pray that we could guide our children, that we could listen to their curious questions, that we could lean into that and have fantastic conversations, that God, you would reveal our next steps, whatever that may be for our family, that I know it's so unique that this is a layer of learning and healing, and each layer brings its own a unique responsibility for each family. And we trust you with that, Holy Spirit, that we would be one body, one body of believers who are united in worship of you, God, that that can bring heaven here on earth. We thank you for Darina's guidance in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all, thanks again. Meet me back here for week three. We're gonna have Francie Winslow talking to us about the ripple effects of healthy sexual connection. That's right. We're getting into our marriages. And I know 
with all the quarantine going on, we may need a little help in this area. So it's really good. It's not condemning or shaming, but encouraging. Meet me back here next week. All right. Have a great week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.